Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges, and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you may be. Scott Luton and Allison Giddens here with you on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Allison, how are you doing? Hi, good. How are you? Happy Monday. Happy President's Day. It is President's Day. That's right. We all need to go out and buy lots of furniture. Is that right? And mattresses. <laughs> Got to keep right? the economy going. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, great to have you back. Good to be back. Really have enjoyed your appearances over the years, dating back to our, some of our earliest chapters here at Supply Chain Now. So oh, a lot of folks out there, Allison, may connect the dots, although some of our newer audience members may be unaware that you lead a manufacturing organization here in the greater Atlanta area and have deep manufacturing and industry leadership experience as well. So looking forward to your perspective here on The Buzz. Yes. Happy to be here. So folks, we're all happy Allison's here as well. So The Buzz, hey, y'all know we come at you every Monday at 12 noon Eastern time. As always, we're going to be discussing a variety of news and developments across global business. On today's agenda, folks, Boeing's quality issues, potentially nefarious Russian cyber tricks. I've never used the word nefarious, Allison. Good word. Good <laughs> word. The Mexico market. I'll tell you, it's amazing. Industry is on the move down there in Mexico for well, months, if not years now. So stay tuned for all of that and more. And hey, we want to hear your take throughout today's session. So y'all drop your comments, your perspectives in the chat throughout the next hour or so. And hey, if you're listening to this podcast replay, which we usually drop on Fridays, we encourage you to join us live so you can engage and share what you're thinking about any of these topics every Monday, 12 noon. And Allison, one more thing. We had a great pre-show conversation. You were talking about supermarketers out there that really nail it. Yes. And when companies really nail it, what do consumers do a lot of times? Buy a lot of things, or at least their brand becomes synonymous with the thing. Yes. We buy, we brag, we share, right? That's where I was trying to go, Allison and all of our friends out there. If you'd like me and Allison and what we talk about throughout the next hour here on The Buzz, hey, share it with a friend, share it with your network. They'll be glad you did. Okay. By the way, as a big old aerospace nerd and Air Force nerd, I love those models. Yes. And I'm see. My eyesight could be bad. But I think that's the F-16 to the left, to that side. Oh, so close. Uh, nope. Okay. F, is it newer? Yes. Okay. F-22? Very good. Okay. Yep. And on the far right, I'm going to say that's an F-15? Nope. No. It's a little harder to see. Okay. If, if okay. you saw a different profile, you might be able to nail it. I'm failing You want me miserably. to tell you? Yes, please. F-35. Oh, I should have known that. And of course, in the middle... C-130, right? You got it. You got okay. it. One of the longest running, if not the longest running military aircraft, still in production some 60 years later, Allison, Something roughly? like that. Yeah, yeah. The, the Hercules, it had its birthday not long ago. That is right. Okay, Allison, let's start with a few resources for folks out there. We got four stories we're going to be working our way through. I want to share a couple of visuals here, and we're going to start with the domestic freight market. So folks, great resource for our listeners out there that want to better understand what's really going on in the U.S. domestic freight market. Check out the recently released 
U.S. Bank Freight Payment Index for fourth quarter 2023. You can check out the link that we are dropping in the comments, but this comes out every quarter. My favorite things about this, Allison, is it really it gives national overviews, but then we go region by region because there's some key differences when it comes to the makeup of industry and trends and whatever, right? So if I like it, I bet you will too. Allison, it's tough to kind of get a feel of what's really going on across the freight market, huh? Man, yeah, it's kind of all over the place. And I'm trying to figure things for my little microcosm of a small business and see if I have noticed some of the patterns that you can see in those charts. It's interesting. Man. Well, you know, one of my favorite expressions, and I'm not sure who said this first, but it's to understand where you're going. It's really important to truly understand where you've been. Check it out. The other favorite part is it's free. Comes in every quarter. So we're dropping the link, which we've just dropped in the chat. One click away, you can sign up for it and get it in your inbox every order. Okay. Moving right along, Allison. Let's talk about with that said. Yes. Have you ever heard me say with that said? Allison? Yes. A couple times. <laughs> it's one of my go-to phrases, I it guess. Is. We took it and made our newsletter. Hey, marketing, man. Marketing. It's your brand. <laughs> That's right. So what we shared over the weekend is we really talked about this phrase of bridge builders. And I had a eureka moment as I was crossing that bridge, which is pictured right there in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And Y'all can go read it and check it out, but the long and short of it is humanity and society could sure benefit from a whole bunch more bridge builders. Isn't that right, Allison? Would you agree? You got that right. And it's funny because I'm having a road trip and not, I guess, next week. So I'm sure, well, I'm hoping I come up with just as many epiphanies. Okay. Well, I know you will. Yep. As a successful humorist like Mark Twain, I love hearing your observations and experiences from your travel. And I picked up a little tip in our prep for today's show. Allison, if it's within a certain like 10 hours, you're going to drive it, not fly it. Is that right? You got it. If it's 10 hours, I'm road tripping it. <laughs> so I can't wait to hear the places you see on your travels coming up. Okay. One last thing, folks. I know we're covering a lot of ground. We did include the link to with that said right there. One click away, check it out and subscribe to it. But lastly, National Supply Chain Day is back with a vengeance. Mark your calendars, April 29th. It is led by its founder, Mary-Kate Love, who's a member of our team here at Supply Chain Now. Mary-Kate is a dynamo. I can't wait. We're going to take National Supply Chain Day to incredible new heights. And you know, one of my favorite parts about this, Allison, so you, yeah, mark your calendars, April 29th. If y'all want to get involved, hey, check out NSCD, the acronym, at supplychainnow.com. One of my favorite parts about this, Allison, twofold. Number one, even though it's National Supply Chain Day, you know, it's official and been filed and all that stuff, still, we're going to lift up what's going on coast to coast here, but also celebrate the global industry. So I love that. Nice. And then also, Allison, you know, we're going to talk about the frontline workers here in a minute. We're going to put a big emphasis on uplifting the human factor, the people that make global supply chain happen. Allison, does that pull your heartstrings a little bit too? I like it because I'm a big fan of Manufacturing Day, that first Friday in October. So I like the opportunities to highlight industry and, you know, not just for the marketing of certain companies and things, but also to show the next generation, like this is what industry is all about. These are the different things you can do. To your point, getting global reach for right. supply chain. You can't talk about supply chain without talking global. That's right. So Whether we like it or not, and most of us like it, it. Yeah. we're all in it together. Allison, yep. we're all the in it Rising together. tide lifts all boats. Yes. That's right. Love it. Folks, April 29th 
April 29th. Mark your calendar. A lot more to come. And if you want to reach out to Mary Kate and the team here and find ways to get involved, hey, use that email we just dropped, ncsd at supplychainnow.com. Big tip of the hat to Catherine and Amanda helping to make things happen as always here at The Buzz. Okay. We got a lot of work to get into, Allison. We do. We do. We want to start with talking about our workforce. I think I've got a simple graphic here. Let's see here because a new research report came out. So, hey, as we all know, and as the pandemic really showed us once again for maybe the 10,000th time, we got to take care of our workforce across industry, no matter what sector you're in. A new report here sheds more light, particularly on our frontline workers and the burden that they bear. So, Allison, check this out. I'm going to unpack this, and I can't wait to get your take on this. So, according to research findings from... I think I'm going to get this right. Maquilibrium. That sounds good. That sounds super good. I wouldn't try it a second time. (laughs) (laughs) So y'all check it out. We'll drop the link, the name of the company in the chat there. But frontline workers, kidding aside, frontline workers are about 61% more likely to suffer from depression, 33% more likely to suffer from anxiety than their non-frontline colleagues. Now, the research mentioned a variety of factors impacting our frontline along these lines, from irregular shift work to not much paid time off to a lack of autonomy in their roles and their regular interaction oftentimes with angry or frustrated customers. And that's just a tip of the iceberg, right? Interestingly enough, other research indicates, get this, that frontline workers are far more capable than their non-frontline colleagues in their ability to develop true resilience, which they lean on to mitigate the stresses of their work environment. It's kind of cool, but it's kind of sad that that's what they've had, you know, our frontline Mm -hmm. folks have had to do. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Right. That's right. Employee assistance programs, which are meant to help the workforce deal with mental health challenges, often go underused for a variety of reasons. Folks may not know about them. You've got associated stigmas related to certain resources out there. You know, mental health, the phrase alone that could be stigmatized, you know, for decades or other factors out there. But one thing is inarguable. We can do better for sure. You know, so Allison, I'd love to get you to weigh in on what's going on out there with the workforce and what we've got to do better. Yeah, I think a lot of this resonated because you can see this with people and you can see this kind of everywhere you go when it comes to restaurants, you know, especially I've noticed this in some of the wait staff that I've observed in in restaurants, whether it's the manufacturing industry. I think a piece of this is I blame a lot on COVID. You know, I blame a lot on the fact that we, following COVID, a lot of us in manufacturing saw some attrition in workforce in general. And therefore, the people that were sticking around, the people that were continuing to work, worked twice as hard Mm -hmm. for essentially the same amount of outcome. And it's not as though there's been any relief valve. I remember over the holidays, I remember working in in November and then into December, it was kind of that feeling, you know, you get that feeling, you were in manufacturing, Scott, you get this. Mm -hmm. There's that feeling of, oh, we're almost to a time where we can kind of decompress for a few days, right? Right. We never got that. Heck, I'm the owner, I'm the co-owner of Wintech. It's, you know, it's not like we could shut down because we were so busy. So I think that there's a lot of reasons like this article talks about, a lot of overlapping reasons, but to the same point on employee assistance programs, we've got a great health insurance opportunity where we've got resources, a lot of, you know, 24-hour phone calls that you can make any time of day, any time of night. But it's, again, yeah, folks know about them, but I think understanding and making a decision to use the resource takes a certain amount of not only knowledge, but ability to say, okay, I think I need the help now. Yes. You know, 
So I don't know what the fix is. I've seen a little bit of success in, in my peers. Shout out to a few. I don't I don't want to necessarily name them because I don't know how open they want me to name them. But I know that a couple of them very purposefully go out to their shop floor and spot check people. You know, how are you? I remember you telling me three months ago, you know, you had to put your dog down. How are you mm. feeling? And kind of go out of your way to make those kinds of conversations happen. I think that's humanizing people. You know, I think a lot of times the managers too, those on the front line are going through these same things. Right. So that's right. I don't know. That's kind of my, well, my long version of the short story. Well, we're all humans, no matter what role you play and life happens to all of us. But I love those couple of examples, including showing in a very genuine way, not just asking the questions, yes. ask the questions, but leaning in and having those real conversations. I love that. And going back to your first point, I love that you as an organization are offering resources for your employees. You know, a lot of folks, you know, as a veteran, I know in the veteran community, we're really bad at raising our hands, say, hey, yes. I need help. Yep. And that's a critical first step so folks can lean into resources that are out there. Yep. Okay. A lot of good stuff. Y'all check out. We've got a link to a great article about our frontline workers that are just so paramount to how everything takes place. We've got to level on and make sure these folks are taken care of. Yep. Y'all check that out. Okay, Allison, just the tip of the iceberg. I want to move into this next story that, interestingly enough, is related to the first one for sure. That's so it. interesting read here from our friends at NPR, where we focus on an ongoing story related to the manufacturing workforce and allegations that management at Boeing have been placing priorities on speed of production, and profits over safety and quality and other things. This is not late breaking news for all of y'all out there. Y'all saw it as well as I saw it back in early January, 2024. A door plug panel blew off mid-flight on an Alaska Airlines aircraft. The pictures coming out of that were remarkable. As the NTSB, which stands for the National Transportation and Safety Board, if I'm not mistaken, here in the States, it continues its investigation in the Boeing 737 MAX 9 aircraft. Overall concerns about quality control, well, they're growing. A lot of folks are not sure if the company is prioritizing the right things. Of course, sadly, many folks will recall the two deadly crashes that involved Boeing 737 MAX 8 jets in 2018 and 2019. Those two crashes, sadly, cost the lives of 346 people. Allison, really interested in your take here. As most of our audience will know that when you've joined us in previous shows, you've got tons of experience and expertise from both a manufacturing leadership perspective and an aerospace industry perspective. Your thoughts here. So full disclosure, we don't make any parts for Boeing. So what I'm about to say, take this with a grain of salt. I do have some colleagues that work with Boeing, some professional colleagues and in industry groups, and they are some of the hardest working people. I think I've ever met. They're really good people. They've got their hearts in the right places. Granted, they're not over quality lines on the floor, so can't speak to that. But I do know that, you know, this is not this is not an easy thing for leadership or or people who are responsible on the front lines, going back to the frontline workers. Again, I think you have the exhaustion layer. You know, I think we've assumed a lot. We've put a lot on the shoulder of people that we assumed were always going to be doing what they should have been doing all along. Also, there was something that I don't remember if it was this article or another article, but something that I was reminded, remember during the pandemic when a lot of planes sat? Oh, yeah. And they were talking about how engine-wise, that was not a good thing. It's not a good mm. thing for planes to sit because that is a quality concern and all of that. So long story short, in my eyes, this is kind of a, you said it earlier, you know, to understand where we're going, we need to understand where we've been. I don't know that any of this is surprising. And honestly, I think it's a matter of time before we start 
recognizing and realizing other brands or other big names start having quality issues. And we're all going to go, well, where did this come from? Right. I'll tell you where it came from for the right. same reasons. And that's where it ties directly back to that first story, because as challenging as it is here, at least in the States, to find great talent and to keep great talent, unfortunately, to your earlier points, we put a lot of pressure on the talent we do have to make things happen and to meet goals and objectives. They all kind of feed each other in many ways in terms of the pressure. And then, of course, you've got leadership. At least it's been alleged that leadership begins to look more at the bottom line rather than you know safe and quality production. And to that end, I'll just add this, Allison. You may have seen this documentary as well. I want to say I saw it on YouTube. It's probably about a year or so ago. It's a couple years old. Came out not long after those earlier disasters that we talked about earlier that cost so many so many lives. And I think it was the Wall Street Journal. It could have been a different publication. The documentary on kind of how Boeing has gone through a variety of changes. And one of the findings that they seem to point to was that the company culture at Boeing, when they moved the headquarters from Washington State to, I think, Chicago, between that and some other changes within the company, that the culture moved from a highly engineering-focused culture to more of a financial and bottom line-driven culture. Hmm. So y'all check that out. Maybe Catherine and Amanda can find that documentary. I'm pretty sure the Wall Street Journal- did a great job there. But Allison, your final thoughts about Boeing? I really think that, you know, it's hard to be everything to everyone. And it's what's the other cliche when everything's a priority, nothing is a priority. I think that, you know, if their customer, if if ultimately, if there's a company that is saying, if whether it's Delta or Southwest or whoever is saying, hey, you know, I need 10 of these and I need them yesterday. You know, you start looking at the, what do they call it? The three-legged stool, right? right. Delivery, quality, and price. You can only get two. You know, you can only have two. Which which two right. do you want? That's right. It's tough. It is tough. I know you're in the manufacturing environment now. I've, I've certainly spent time in industry meeting those demands, working with automotive and other really challenging industries. And, you know, God bless our manufacturing workforce and industry. They've got such a, a tough job, but they tend to deliver day in and day out. I don't want to predict bad things. That's okay. not something I want to do. But I'm curious to know... With the tough situation that a lot of automotive manufacturers have been in lately, are we going to start seeing something from the automotive side? Maybe mm. not necessarily as egregious as you know doors coming off, but at the same time, if you think about it, if you're always more likely to experience an accident on the road than you are in the air, right? You know the quality defects from an automotive perspective, the quality defects that are you know have a pattern that has much more potential to be severe. And I'm not just talking about recalls because your air conditioning doesn't work. Right. You know? Right. So steering components, you know, brake components, real big safety components. That's an excellent point, Allison. I'll throw it out there to our audience. What do y'all think? Any predictions when it comes to either aerospace or Boeing or, you know, the fallout from a lot of the challenges and dynamics that the automotive industry has been going through in recent years? Let us know. Okay. So Allison, with story number three, now this is going to test at least the bounds of my, <laughs> my knowledge and expertise here, but I want to share this because we're talking space. We are talking space. Third story here from our friends at CNN. It's being reported by sources within U.S. intelligence that Russia is attempting to build a nuclear space weapon to take out tons of satellites that are critical to our modern way of life. Okay. So Allison, Tell us more here. What's going on? Oh, man. So this all kind of the news broke. The timing is not suspect. 
the timing is interesting Yes, because it happened last week, right around the time that Congress is really pushing hard to get more funding out to Ukraine. And of course, as our politicians politic, there's lots of, you know, infighting and all of that. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes out and, uh, with the White House and they say, hey, by the way, we've got some really important thing we want to tell you about the Russians are doing. Now, of course, you know, if, if I'm a politician and I'm on the fence of voting for Ukraine funding or not, you know, I'm hearing this and I'm like, what? oh my gosh, here, Nuclear take all the weapon? money, take all the money, please. Right. And so it's very interesting timing about the announcement. But have you seen the show The Diplomat? No, I thought you were going to say the Americans. Amanda, I have not watched that either. Amanda's high okay. on the Americans, but All I have right. not seen The Diplomat. The Diplomat's very good. It's interesting because there's, and I don't know how true any of this could be in real life, but in some circumstances, the main character wants to communicate something to a country that is not known at being friendly to the U.S. Okay. But she has an insider who is friendly and wants peace and wants good things. So she figures out ways to make things public through news articles to communicate things to that person. And then in turn, that person communicates to a third party and then information gets back to her. So you wonder if any of this has anything to do with those kind of back-end channels. Because if I'm somebody in the national security of the United States and I'm reading this article, I'm like, shh, don't tell them that we know. Don't tell them that we know these things. So- (laughs) You know, again, the espionage and all that stuff. I don't know how any of that's true, but all of this stuff to me, and I think Amanda jokingly said this in the green room beforehand was, you know, just adds to my existential dread. You know, you wake (laughs) up and you're like, what else do we have to worry about? Seriously. I think ultimately this just means I tell my mother-in-law and I tell my mother this regularly. These days when it comes to the disaster prep, I would just prepare like you're always thinking a snowstorm is coming. (laughs) Like, you know, just make sure you have medications replenished. Make sure you have a bunch of canned goods. Don't go crazy. But at the same time, this stuff, who the heck knows, man? Who knows? We're going to talk a little bit more about the intersection of politics and industry and supply chain in the next story. But I love how you started that. The the timing is always suspect, right? Now, Andy, Andy Sauer. Great to have you, Andy. Via LinkedIn says the, nu- <laughs> the nuclear space weapon from Russia is stupid from so many different angles. He says so. Russia is very likely going to do it. Well, that just that solidifies it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good, good stuff, Andy. All right, so let me give you some good news here, right? Related to this story, and we'll see. We'll keep our finger on the pulse. We all know how critically important so many satellites in space are to our modern way of life. And, you know, as I was talking with my dear friend, Kevin L. Jackson, who worked at NASA in recent weeks, there's some fascinating stuff going on when it comes to space, medical breakthroughs, manufacturing in space, right? Because of certain things, science stuff we can take advantage of. And of course, all that's going to require, yes, you know, a space supply chain. So a lot more. Stay tuned. we got a show we're about to launch. No what pun could intended. possibly go wrong? What could possibly? <laughs> right. So, all right, here's some good news related to this story. So this weapon, folks, has not been launched. It's not in orbit yet, right? Let's settle down a little bit. That's what, now, they, want. Analysts, That's what they want you to think. Probably so. Analysts view this as a last-ditch weapon, because if used, it wouldn't just destroy American satellites if the technology works, right? But it also would destroy Russian satellites and any others in the orbits of where it was detonated. So, that, you know, this would be, that's good news to my mind, at least, last-ditch weapon. Lastly, hey, 
If used, at least we'd have quite a solid excuse for not paying our mortgages, right? Because, of course, the financial system is probably underpinned by satellite technology and a lot more stuff. You'd still get phone calls from people wanting you to extend your car warranty. <laughs> Guarantee you. Yeah, you know. Yeah, they will find you. Well, folks, we're going to keep our finger on the pulse of this. And Allison, I appreciate your perspective. You know, nuclear space weapons. Goodness gracious. Come on, Mr. Putin. We ain't got no time for that this week, right? We got other other I got fires. To to I got, yeah, seriously. I got customer <laughs> orders to fulfill. Just chill, man. Oh, man. All right. So moving into our last story here, fourth and final story. This is an interesting, there's so many different reads and takes and analyses on what's going on in Mexico is fascinating. So we want to talk here as we get into our last story about the intersection of supply chain, greater industry, global trade shifts, and politics. So interesting story from Al Jazeera as it relates to Mexico becoming the United States' top trading partner recently. You may have heard as data from the U.S. Census Bureau now indicates that Mexico has surged past Canada and China to be the United States' top trading partner. I get this, Allison, a couple interesting nuggets of factoids here about U.S. trade in 2023. So overall, U.S. trade fell by about 3.85% last year to 5.1 trillion with a T bucks. Now, this might surprise some folks, but when you think about it, it won't. Port Laredo in Texas vaulted to the top of the list in terms of busiest ports, with this volume driven largely by our growing trade with Mexico. The top U.S. export in 2023 was oil. The top U.S. import last year was passenger vehicles. And $789 billion, that's the amount in trade between the U.S. and Mexico in 2023. Now, anyone that has tuned in to any of our shows or are a fellow practitioner out there that knows what's going on, nearshoring is a big factor here. Note, I don't like the friend shoring term, although that folks talk about that as well. It's a little different than nearshoring, but in terms of Mexico and the U.S., nearshoring is critical. Companies continue to look for ways to bring parts of their supply chains closer. Mexico has benefited greatly here. Now, this was one of my favorite lines from this read, Allison, and then get your take. One industry veteran in this article suggests that the manufacturing explosion and expansion taking place in Mexico right now is what happened in China 30 or 40 years ago. All right. So, Allison, I'm going to get your take in two different ways. Firstly, let's start with Mexico and these trading trends. Your thoughts first. Well, first thing, when I read the article, I thought it kind of seemed like a no-brainer to me. Like you said, the whole near-shoring makes a lot of sense. If you think about it, the communication between the countries seems a lot more streamlined. A lot more people in the U.S. that speak Spanish than do Mandarin or Cantonese or, right. or what, you know, you have a lot of that. There are many more people out there that speak our language as opposed to the other way around. Yeah, I'm still learning my English, by the way, no Alice. I still no struggle. No kidding. I before E. <laughs> and I think that there's also a benefit to the fact that generally they're a lot closer in time zone. So in having conversations or having, you know, calls with them and, oh, you got, you'll have these in three weeks. Okay. Well, that probably means three weeks and not three weeks and four days right. or three weeks plus the time that it takes to cross the Pacific. Things like that. That makes a lot of sense to me. It was a fascinating piece that you mentioned about the manufacturing explosion, kind of reminiscent of what happened in China 30 to 40 years ago. Mm. I think that Mexico has been preparing for this too. And yes. it just, it seems like a lot of the groundwork has been laid. And the other kind of piece, the politics piece in my head is no matter what side of the aisle you're on with the immigration conversations, you wonder if trade is not a piece of those kind of peace deals, so to speak, where it's very much a, hey, look, if we 
you know, if we don't allow X number of people to come in here freely, then we will offset that with X amount of dollars spent with your country. Obviously, I'm, I don't think that that's being put to paper like quite like that. But right. I wonder if those kinds of conversations are taking place as well, because I think both countries do have such rich resources in different ways that they'd be smart to play off each other for it. Yes. Well said. So much to look at here. We're not going to be able to do it justice in the five minutes we talk about this. But to your point where you kind of you started, this has been a long time coming. And there's so many different tailwinds that have helped Mexico and their industry get here. I mean, to name just a couple, as you all know, the USMCA, right, which updated NAFTA and really created one of the most, if, if not the most unique trading region in the world between Canada the U.S. and Mexico, right? You got that at play. Of course, you got COVID where we lost so much or we gained maybe new heights of fragility in our global supply chains. Of course, it makes, to your point, Allison, brings perfect sense to mitigate some of that risk by bringing things in the same continent, right? Right. Workforce, we already touched on, everybody out there listening or watching knows the workforce challenges we've got and the great resources they've got in Mexico costs. And then, of course, and this is a longer list, but just to pull a couple, the trade war between U.S. and China and how that also factored into the emergence and the incredible tailwinds. Yeah. That is, I'll tell you, the country of Mexico, they're on the move. And also, I'll be remiss mentioning one other thing, the infrastructure gains and investments they're making, you know, helping products not just get made, but flexibility in terms of how we move and distribute and just get stuff to different places. Yeah. It is remarkable. Allison, your thoughts? Yep, that. And also, I wonder how if the similarities just in general culture, because of the two countries, you know, we're we're a lot more similar, I think, than a lot of Asian countries in the U.S. Mm. And perhaps mm. that there's and I understand that, you know, just because product is coming out of Mexico doesn't mean the product is Mexican. I get that. Yep. But there's still pieces of cultures that happen, to your point, with Boeing that went from Washington State to Chicago. Right. You know, anytime you have the existence or the presence of a product or a company somewhere, that kind of culture resonates and that kind of culture bleeds over into the product or services that are supplied. So you wonder too, if the success of the partnership of the two countries perhaps is is likely to explode yes. in good ways because there's a copacetic, you know, you kind of get each other, so to speak. Yes. And Mexico is not building nuclear space weapons. Oh, you know, and it kind of helps. That's super nice of them. <laughs> Kidding aside, one of the things I'm watching, and this is nothing new. This has been in the works for years. Also part of the nearshoring, but also regionalization of supply chains that's been taking place. You know, the great gains in Mexico, there'll be a spillover effect into Central and South America. That's one of the big reasons why China is making massive investments in yeah. South America. There's lots of them. But so how else can we create more business Good business for all parties by looking not just in Mexico, but looking in Latin or in Central and South America. So we'll see. Yeah. Probably some topics we'll be exploring. Be really interesting because to see some of the like the crime that is happening and some of the strife that's happening in certain South American countries that bleed up into Central America. Right. It'll be interesting to see what other parties do to mitigate those risks along the way. 
and create opportunities for yeah. all good jobs and good livings for all. Right. It's so important. Yep. So stay tuned. Keep your eye, not just on Mexico, but especially Central and South America as the U.S. and China compete for influence and relationships, but also as industry continues to emerge and evolve and again, create opportunities for everyone out there. Larry Klein says, hey, think of how strong our continent would be economically if just the U.S., Canada and Mexico oh, yeah. could get on the same page. China or the EU, he says, wouldn't stand a chance and we could negotiate from a position of strength. That would be wild. It would be. And I really think that back to the USMCA, I'm not an attorney or a lobbyist or a policy crafter. But generally speaking, that was part of the aim to be able to make trade easier and not to create you know, one country from three, so to speak, but really legislate our commonalities that you're speaking to, Allison, to make it a more frictionless trading environment. But we'll see where we go next. Hilarious. Great comment. Okay. Allison. As always, we're very efficient when you join us here on The Buzz. It must be that manufacturing background of yours. We've got our tech time studies going, right? But kidding aside, one of my favorite things we're going to talk about as we start to wrap today's buzz is you know, what you're doing apart from manufacturing supply chain. That is helping other people, helping other humans, helping families in need, helping kids be kids. So let's remind folks what you and your team are doing at the Dave Krejci Foundation. Tell us more. So it's a, a fun little side project for the past, I guess, <laughs> I don't know, 13 years now. Wow. Dave Krejci Foundation pays for kids to play sports when their families can't afford the fees or otherwise. Kind of, We're based in local metro Atlanta area. And yeah, we've got a great active board, 100% volunteer run and a good group of local leaders. I love it. And folks, we want you to check the Dave Krejci Foundation out, whether you're in Atlanta or wherever you are in the world, maybe something you can stand up in your local community because yes, we need to support kids and families and give these opportunities to them. So check out DaveKrejci.com, Dave Krejci being your father, Allison, y'all founded the charitable and its mission in honor of, right? Yes. You got it. It was a sports fanatic. So uh, yeah, we carried that over. He was always wanting to make sure that if you if you had the power to help somebody, it was your moral obligation to do it. So I love that. Yeah. And one final thing, because folks, it may be in your blind spot. You know, me and Amanda, we got three children and they play a mix of sports and some other things. And gosh, all of them are pretty expensive, right? But Allison, you shared something pre-show with me and with us and Catherine and Amanda that I think is eye-opening. And so it might, some of our audience out there may not have connected the dots, maybe. Football helmets, right? You think football helmets, when you look at football helmets, you may be thinking 20 bucks, 30 bucks, whatever. $300 for modern yeah. contact proof football helmets, 300 bucks. Allison, what family in the world has 300 bucks sitting around? On top of registration fees and right. your practice gear and your shoes Yeah, that are only going to be good for six months because you're growing. So you're going to have to buy new shoes. Yeah. Allison, I really appreciate what you do. So folks, if you can help out, if you can help kids be kids and pick up some of these fees that go along with the outstanding leadership, human, the growth opportunities that organized sports provide, hey, check out DaveCrechey.com. And if you can get involved or if you can support, that would be wonderful. And if you're in some other neck of the woods and you're interested maybe in talking shop with Allison about maybe starting something similar in your hometown, hey, I bet Allison, I bet you'd welcome conversations like that, huh? Absolutely. And our website is super transparent. So we tell anybody, if you're in another city or town and you want to take this, take the stuff off our website, copy it, use it for awesome. you for sure. 
I love that. Uh, so big thanks to you, Allison, and Donna Krejci, and your board of directors, and everyone that gets involved and helps to help others. Okay, so Allison, we've run the gamut here. We've talked about some things we've talked about here before. We've talked about some new things like space nukes, goodness gracious, and some of the messaging related to that. But if folks, you do a lot of MC and you do keynotes, you're very active in industry, especially supporting the manufacturing industry. Of course, we've talked about the Dave Krejci Foundation. We didn't even touch on WinTech and all the great things you're doing to make stuff for aerospace and other sectors. How can folks connect with you, Allison, in case they want to have a conversation with you? Absolutely. Reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active there. So Allison Giddens on LinkedIn, shoot me a message. And if you do connect with me, throw a note in there saying that you saw us here because I get a lot of spam on there and I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to decline you because I don't know who you are. So say hello. <laughs> No spam, no, no spam. spam, no spam. Hey, reach out to Allison. Your network and your journeys will be better with her involved, I can assure you. So You're too kind. Well, I really enjoy it. Our collaboration goes back a long time. And I really always enjoy and benefit from your expertise and perspective you share here. So Allison Giddens, thanks for being here. Thanks for including me. It's fun. All right, folks, hope you have a wonderful start to your week. The challenge remains the same, right? It's all about deeds, not words. Take one thing you learned here today in me and Allison's chat or any of the comments that came in, in the links, news stories, resources. Hey, take one thing and put it in action. Make your team's lives a little bit easier. They sure will appreciate it. And on that note, with that said, on behalf of the entire team here at Supply Chain Now, Scott Luton challenging you to first off, remember April 29th, National Supply Chain Day, more information coming, but more importantly, do good, give forward, and be the change that's needed. And we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Now.